Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. In this podcast, we learn from amazing people how to think better and build better organizations in our massively accelerating world. We explore what's possible, how to augment ourselves, and ultimately who we can become. In addition to the podcast, we apply the insights from our guests to develop useful tools and resources. These include the Thought Weaver app for better thinking with AI, the Humans Plus AI community with a wonderful group of explorers and extensive learning resources, my AI enhanced thinking and decision making cohort course, corporate programs, and a lot more. So to find out about these or to access a whole host of free resources, our newsletter, and uh, much more, just go to amplifyingcognition.com. And if you like the episode, please subscribe and rate the podcast. That will help others to find it. Now to today's episode. We return with another compilation episode, this time looking at the potential of humans plus AI. We'll hear insights and brief excerpts from the current season of the podcast from Jerry Mikalski, episode two, Toby Walsh, episode 14, and Laurel Lecouf, episode five, Jeremiah Aoyoung, episode nine, and Dave Snowden, episode 24. Go check out the full episodes for the full insights from each of these amazing thinkers. To tap the potential of AI, we need to take a deeply human approach. And in these excerpts, these leading thinkers share how we should be thinking about the relationship between humans and AI and how we can put that into practice. How, Jerry, could we become better cyborgs? Um, so part of it is understanding how the tools work and what the tool limitations are and not getting, not becoming the lawyer who submitted a brief that they fact-checked using the tool that generated the hallucinations and therefore got themselves really embarrassed in public a, a month or two ago. You don't want to be that guy. And there's a lot of ways to avoid those errors. Another, and understanding how the tools work and what their limitations are lets you then use them well to generate creative first drafts of things, to do uh, you know a whole series of, of really things one of the enemies of mankind is the blank sheet of paper. And so many people are given an assignment and they're like sitting down and it's just like, ah, no. And you ball up two words and you throw it in the trash. And, and here, all of a sudden, you can have six variants of something put in front of you. We need to become better editors of generated text. Then the other piece of being a better cyborg is not about being a lonely cyborg. But what does it mean to be in a collective of cyborgs? What does it mean to be in a cyborg space? What does it mean to co-inhabit um, cyborg intelligence with other people and other intelligences that are just going to get faster, better at this thing, right? And so I think I think it's really urgent that we figure out the collaboration side of this. Um, so we don't think of it only as, well, we gave everybody a better spreadsheet and now everybody's making a lot of spreadsheets. This is different. This is different in type. And the third thing I would bring in is the ethics of it, which is boy, it's easy to misuse these tools in so many ways. And unless we understand A, how they work and what they're doing, but B, have some better notion ourselves of what is right and what is wrong to do, and some relatively strong idea of what is right and what is wrong to do, then this is going to evolve. I think uh, there's one school of thought, uh, Bill Joyce said this years ago, uh, there is no more privacy. Forget about it. Privacy is overrated. Um, and the other realm is like what the EU is doing right now with new privacy regs. They're really working hard to try to figure out how to protect us from having our data just sucked out of our lives and used to, by other people to manipulate us in our lives, which is what capitalism wants to do. So 
it's not as easy as I'm going to get good at Photoshop and become a really, or, or final cut or whatever, and get, and, and become an ace with some software. And, and I, and I point to those kinds of people as the early cyborgs. I'm like, if there's any piece of software that you, where you no longer think of the commands, maybe you're a spreadsheet ace and you do these massive, incredible models with pivot tables and, and who knows what, and, and the software you've internalized so well that it doesn't even come to consciousness, you're kind of, you're down this road of cyborgness. But this is more complicated than that because the issues uh, are so important and because we can now collaborate and communicate better, all of those issues. So one of the very interesting examples you used was of a, a AI patent generator called, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, D-A-B-U-S, Dabus. 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 Where it's, you know, the, the person who created it uh, said that it's, uh, essentially was an AI inventor and tried to patent uh, it in the names of the AI. And you pointed out that, in fact, you know, of course, the person invented the uh, the system and it was really just an assistant to him. So there, it was a human and a plus AI endeavor as opposed to something which you could attribute fully to the AI. Indeed, yeah. It's a very interesting example. There was a court case brought in the US, in, in the US and, and one in Australia where uh, briefly before the uh, the initial judgment was overruled. Um, the AI was actually allowed to to be named on the, the patent as the inventor, but that now has been overturned. And uh, at least in the US and Australia, again, we returned to the place where only humans are allowed to be named as the inventors. Uh, but the system is, as you say, it's, it's an interesting example of how humans can be um, helped. Uh, these are really powerful tools for helping people do things that we re, you know, initially thought required um, you know, quite a bit of intelligence. You know, coming up with nothing, perhaps you know, more uh, endomatic of, of you know what in, what is something that's intelligent is to is to come up with something that's patentable. I mean, you may, there's a is a, a certain mark there that it must be um, novel um, and done something truly creative. Otherwise, you wouldn't be allowed the patent. Um, and Davis came up with a couple of what helped. Stephen Thaler, the, the guy who wrote the, the program, to come up with um, a couple of ideas that have um, patents have been filed for. Um, uh, a fractal light. So the idea is that um, you turn this light on and it flashes with a, in a fractal way, which if anyone knows anything about fractals, is that um, it doesn't have any repetition in it. It's a, it's, uh, the, the frequencies keep on changing. And that will, that will attract our, our attention because it's not going to be flashing in any in any like a lighthouse in any rhythmic way, it's actually going to be um, disturbing our, our um, mental perception of it, and so it will actually be quite a good way of attracting people's attention. And then, and then another example was and then, interestingly, we have both, both fractal inventions. A fractal container. And the idea is that the surface of this container would have a fractal um, a dimension to it. Um, and again, if you know something about fractals, you know that that. Um, that means it's going to have a huge, I mean, it's truly fractal, in fact, infinite surface area. Um, and so if you want to have and something where you can um, heat up a, you know, a, a container very easily, um, then having a, a large surface area to the volume would be very, very useful. Um, but these, both of these inventions, um, what's interesting is that um, and, and this is, these are the only AI programs that have been used by people to help invent stuff. Um, what what people do is that they they get the program to to define what's what you know what you might call a design space you know, a set of a set of ideas that you building blocks that you put together 
And of course, the, the great strength of the computer is that a computer will put, you know, be very exhaustive and do things um, in all the possible ways. Um, and you know, maybe our um, our human intuitions will stop us from doing some of the more extreme, unusual ways, combinations of putting these things together. But the computer, the beauty of the computer is it won't it won't be inhibited in those ways. So it puts all these things together in interesting ways. But the problem is it's, it's a huge, actually infinite design space. And um, you've got to tame it in some way. Um, and you've got to say, well, well, what are the interesting ways of putting things together? And then we come to this, you know, this ill-defined word, interesting. And this is where it was a, a nice um, synergy between the human and the AI, which was that actually it outsourced the idea of saying, what's an interesting, promising direction to follow, if I'm trying to build up this idea, it's going to be a, a fractal something, a fractal container, or a fractal light. And and he's, you know, he pushed it in those two directions, and then he said, okay, let's 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 explore a bit more about, you know, what way is the light fractal. Um, and he kept on um, deciding which of the which of the many possible combinations of concepts that he was trying to put together to go off and follow, because it was, you know, it was a hugely branching, in fact, infinite search base to explore. And and so it was, you know, playing to the strength of the computer is exhaustiveness, his ability to to put things together irrespective of how silly they might sound. I mean, then the human um, who was bringing the judgment and the taste of what might be interesting, what might be a promising direction to follow. Taking a very quick break, this podcast is just one facet of our work to amplify human cognition. If you're interested in thinking better in a world of overload, using AI to augment yourself finding like-minded thinkers, or improving your organization's performance, just go to amplifyingcognition.com. You'll find a wealth of free resources and useful tools. Now, back to the show. So you, you've been looking at uh, AI and its potential for creativity. And uh, I think, you know, one of the, the phrases... Uh, you use around AI to enhance our creativity or to emulate our creativity. Uh, I'm I'm more interested in the enhancing, uh, and so I'd love to hear about any approaches that you use or the you know where you think we can use AI to enhance our creativity. I'm just going to share my favorite prompt because I could talk about this at, at length, but I'm just going to share my favorite prompt that I use all the time. So what I'll do is that I will write something that I'm working on, could be a paragraph, uh, that could be for my book, that could be for my blog, that could be for a script for a YouTube video, that could even be for a research paper for my PhD. So I will do my best to write the best version possible of what I think covers everything. And then I will copy and paste it in ChatGPT and I will ask, what am I missing? And that's it. That's the prompt. What am I missing? And every single time, there will be at least one thing, one blind spot, something that I forgot to address. And obviously, some of the the, the things that uh, ChatGPT will come up with, I'll be like, well, that's not really relevant, actually. So I'll just ignore it. But there will always be one thing where I'm like, huh, oh, wow, that's really interesting, actually. And so I'll go and I'll research this and I will augment the final piece with that aspect that I completely didn't see in the first place. So in that sense, um, I can use AI as a thinking partner and I can get to the same result very quickly that I would get and I still get. I'm not replacing it because I 
really enjoy doing this, but having a long conversation with a friend where you're telling them, hey, I've been thinking about all of these things. And then, you know, you spend a whole evening together discussing those ideas. By the end of the evening, and I often actually take notes after spending an evening with a friend chatting about different things, because by the end of the evening, there will be several questions the friend asked, several topics that you ended up exploring that you didn't even imagine were connected with what you were discussing in the first place. So this is a shortcut to that. It's a thinking partner. It's a lot faster. And uh, and then, yeah, I, I do feel like that my work is a lot better in the end than if I just relied on just me thinking about everything and every angle. Yeah, no, I, I think that's one of the best uses for it is, I mean, similarly, I sort of say, just, okay, this is what I've thought, you know, what else is there? Well, similar, similar. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's, I think, so part of GPT for red teaming, as in challenging, you know, you bring and say, well, what's wrong with my argument or how could it be improved or what's missing or all of these other things I think are, you know, one, one of the strongest ways to do it. So two, two broad approaches. One is you say, okay, let's start GPT, do something and you can work on it if you've got writer's block, whatever. But the other is you come up with everything and then you throw it in and you see, see what, what can be added to it. Yes. And uh, in, uh, in both cases, I think it's playing off your own strength and its own strength. Like I think at this stage, at least, um, it's not a really good writer. It's really like, it's, it's like, like, I haven't seen any AI right now that can write like a human being does, or, you know, it can write like a, a basic, like, you know, SEO level type of article. But if you want to write something that really moves people that really makes them feel connected at this stage, we're not there. And it's interesting. I don't know if we'll get there because the way the it's trained is on everything. And so you get to this kind of like average level of writing that is not necessarily the best that can be produced by a single human being that really pours their heart into something. But as a sparing partner, a thinking partner, red teaming, as you said, I think it's Excellent, absolutely excellent. And this is for me one of the top ways it should be used. Particularly interested in the, the humans plus AI. So humans are wonderful. AI is uh, has extraordinary capabilities. So from the big picture frame, well, how should we be thinking about humans plus AI? How humans can amplify their capabilities with AI? I think that word, that verb amplify is correct. And there's a book written by... Reed Hoffman, uh, co-written with friends of mine, called Impromptu, that talks about AI amplifying humanity. And I think that is the right lens of this. Um, all tools that we've built, technologies throughout the course of human history have done that. Um, from fire to splitting the atom to technology to AI. And I do believe AI is at that level. It is quite significantly going to change society in many ways. So the goodness of what humans desire, this tool will do that. The badness of the bad players, these tools will also amplify that as well. So it's for us to determine the course of how these technologies will be used. But there's something different here where the experts I know believe that we will see AGI, artificial general intelligence, equal to human intelligence within the decade. So this is the first time, Ross, that we've actually created a new species in a way. And I think that's something quite amazing and shocking. So these are tools that will amplify what we desire as humans, what we already do. 
So if we think frame AI as a new species, as you as you put it, as a new novel type of intelligence, and, I, you know, and one of the key points is that it's not replicating human intelligence. Some AI has been trying to model human intelligence and neural structures. Others have been taking other pathways. So it becomes a different type of intelligence. So I suppose if we are looking to how we can complement uh, or collaborate then a lot of it is around that interface between different types of intelligence. So how can we best engineer that yeah, interface or collaboration between uh, human intelligence and what we're terming artificial intelligence? That's a great question. I think that we can use artificial intelligence to uh, do the chores and the tasks that are repetitive that we no longer really desire to do. Now, yes, let's acknowledge that there's a lot of fear that AI will replace humans. But when you dig deeper on what people are fearful of, they're actually more fearful of the income loss that they'll have. Um, in some of the repetitive roles, it's not always the things that they have sought after to do in their career. It's just the way that they landed in their career and they're doing tasks that are repeated over and over. Uh, but if it's just using a keyboard and you're repeating the same messages over and over, um, that is really not endearing to the human spirit. So this is where AI can help complement so we can level up and do tasks that require more empathy or connection with humans or unlock new creative outlets. So, so I think, well, one, one thing is obviously division of labor. All right, human does that, AI does that, or robots do this. But one of the, I think, what is more interesting is when we we are collaborating on tasks. So this could be from anything from, all right, I'm trying to create a, uh, build a new product. And there's many elements within that where we can, human AI can collaborate. Another could be strategic thinking. So in terms of how we build these together, rather than dividing and separating, Dividing and conquering. So, how do we, how is it that we can where are where is it that we can bring together to, to collaborate effectively on you know particularly higher level thinking? Uh, yes, those are great things. So, AI is great at finding patterns in unstructured data, which humans really struggle at doing. Um, humans are often able to unlock new forms of thinking and creative creative ways that are not currently capable to be done by machine learning or gen AI. So those are the opportunities where we segment the division of labor. Um, I want to reference, I had the opportunity to interview Gary Kasparov, Grandmaster Champion of Chess, at an IBM event um, of all places. And he, his thinking is that we want to look for the centaur. And he believes the best chess player in the world will be a human. And she would also be using it the AI. And, she, and he wants to create a league where the humans with AI would be combating against another human with AI in a chess battle. And he believes that would be the greatest um, chess player ever. It's not just a human or not just an AI, but it's that centaur. That's kind of a mixture of the species coming together. Which, which I think takes us back to the beginning in the sense of abductive reasoning being a human attribute and AI having, uh, you know, using very, very different structures. So, I suppose the broad question is, you know, there are dangers, of course, in using AI in to support our cognition and decisions and framing and thinking and experience. But there are also, we would hope, some opportunities. And so I'd love to sort of frame 
sort of how this, you know, the current, I suppose, divide between what we frame as AI as in terms of its thinking structures and human cognition and where those could be brought together to create something which is better than the sum of the parts. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried if if it was going to be intelligent. Um, but it isn't. It's just a super fast set of algorithms. That's what's really scary about it. Um, and there's a book by Neil Stevenson, and he and I have worked together with Singapore government called Dodge in Hell, which generally is a bad book, actually, apart from the first three chapters, which are brilliant, which basically posit a future in which only the rich can have their information curated. Everybody else is sold to an algorithm. And there's an example of somebody crucifying themselves because they're sold to a religious group who want as an example. And to be quite frank, that's pretty close where we are. There are AI bots now which tailor a lie to people and give it to them on social media as they're approaching the ballot box. All right, so this stuff is significantly scary. And the recent debacle really worries us because the people who wanted to inhibit or at least know how to control these things lost out to the religious AI people you know, who are kind of like within the American tradition of the rapture. They think, you know, miraculously AI is going to save humanity, right? So that really worries me, right? Um, on the other hand, um, and also they can't think abductively. And by the way, I'm dyslectic. Dyslectics think abductively all the time. And we can't understand why other people haven't seen the connections. I can't read a book a line at a time other than with significant effort because I'm looking for patterns, yeah? So what we can do, and this is where we did our original work on DARPA, is the big thing on AI is what are the training data sets? So we originally developed the software sense maker to create epistemically balanced training data sets to avoid the problems you see in scholastic parrots, which was written by a Google employee and published by an ex-Google employee because Google didn't like what she said, right? And the co-authors. So I think yeah, and RAG isn't enough, right? The, the real focus needs to be on training data sets. Now, if you do that, and this is our stage three asteroid, um, which we're going to be coming to next year, the year afterwards, then I can create what are called anticipatory triggers. So I can use past terrorist examples. <clears throat> I can use examples of people finding novel solutions to poverty, etc., to trigger very quickly humans to pay attention to something which is so in a similar emergent pattern. And that's, you know, we're now saying there are two things which kind of like start to replace scenario planning because scenario planning relies on some historical data in some way or other. It's not just imagination. Um, and two ways which we can handle that. One is esterine mapping is a new foresight tool because whatever has the lowest energy gradient is what's likely to happen next. And that's probably more predictable than a scenario. And the other is to create training data sets from past history at a micro level. This is the decomposition, which can trigger alerts so that human beings will pay attention to anomalies before they can become very anonymous. anonymous. And that, that's a key principle in complexity. You want weak, It's called weak signal detection. You want to see things very early so you can amplify the good things and dampen the bad things. Conventional scanning only comes to them late. So the right training data sets, the right algorithms, we can hugely improve that capability in humans. So there are things we can do with it. But the main danger at the moment, to be honest, is that human beings will become dependent on it. And human beings like magical reasoning. 
And yeah, I can smell snow coming, my children can't. It doesn't take long for humans to lose capability. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to dive deeper, access free downloads in our newsletter, and discover useful tools, go to amplifyingcognition.com. Did you enjoy this episode? Please support us by taking 30 seconds to give us a rating or a one-sentence review. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.